Lord, we thank you for that, that love that you give to us. Lord, that love that you displayed that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. That unconditional love, that love, Lord, that we certainly don't deserve, yet you pour out upon us so abundantly. We thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. Lord, we, we desire to love as you love. You tell us in your word that when we do, the world will know we belong to you. So Lord, we ask that you fill us afresh with your spirit. Lord, that we would be overflowing with your spirit and with your love to one another. Lord, we thank you for all that we have in you. The absolute assurance that we have in you. Lord, we thank you for this time in the middle of the week where we can come together, we can worship you, we can, we can open your living word, and Lord, we ask as we do that now together that you would speak to us, that you would show us things, meet us here, Lord, each of us, individually, right where we are, minister to us personally in your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. Good evening. On your way out this evening, on the agape boxes that are on either side of the exit as you head out of the, the foyer, there's a little yellow sheet just like this. If you would, if you would grab that, um, many of you probably know Al Horton. Al and Peggy are, are uh, missionaries to China that we support through uh, uh, outreach to Asian nationals. Uh, Peggy's not going on this trip, but Al is, and uh, is actually on his way now. And uh, should the Lord wake you up about one in the morning, this is why. You need to be praying for them as they will be landing in China and going through customs. So be praying for all of that. And there's a list of, of several things, per, uh, prayer requests that, uh, that he has asked us to specifically pray for. So if you would grab that on your way out tonight, that would be, that would be great. We know that uh, the Lord loves to hear our prayers, and we are, we are united with them in their, in their ministry when we join them in prayer. So grab one of those on your way out. If you would now take out your Bibles and open them up with me to Judges chapter 14. Judges chapter 14. We finished last time, finishing up chapter 13, introducing us to the final judge in the book of Judges. Uh, Samson, probably one of the most famous, if not the most famous, judge. We have a few more chapters after we're done with Samson, but he is the last one to, to fill that role. As we mentioned last time, his contemporaries are, are at this time, the, the high priest was Eli, and, and his sons were, were, were not good. They, they, they did not follow the Lord, and uh, Samuel then is raised up, and we'll get into studying his life in, in, a, in a few weeks. But uh, Judges chapter 14, we, we saw as we finished off that in chapter 13, his, his mother gave birth to him. She was, she was barren. This was a promised child. And, and as if you'll remember last time, we, we said that God told her that he will begin the process of delivering the children of Israel from the hand of the Philistines. He won't complete that job. 
he will actually, as we look through this tonight and we study his life, it's, it's really rather tragic. Uh, you know, when people think of Samson, especially if they've never studied through the story and looked at the details of his life, he's known for one thing, right? You know, his, his amazing physical strength. And people are, are fascinated by his physical strength. But we're going to see that his walk, his, his ministry, his potential was devastated because of his spiritual and moral weakness. Unfortunately, that's what he's really known for when we look at this, and we're gonna see that as we, as we go through. Almost that, that when we get to the end of it again tonight, we can look at it and think of what could have been if he would have truly honored the calling on his life. But we're gonna see as we begin chapter 14, He's, at this point, we don't know his age, but probably as we see, you know, his relation still with his parents, he's probably a late teenager at this time. And it says in chapter 14, verse 1, Then Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. So he came back and told his father and mother, I saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines, now therefore... Go get her for me as a wife. Right off, that ought to set some flags up. <laughs> He's supposed to deliver the, the children of Israel from the hands of the Philistines, not go get a hand of the Philistines in marriage. It says in verse 3, Then his father and his mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all of our people that you have to go and take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? You're going to, not, not just even outside of our family or outside of our, our tribe, you're going outside into the uncircumcised Philistines, the, the pagan people. And his response is, well, that's great advice, Dad. I didn't think of that. Unfortunately, he says, but he said to his father, get her for me, for she looks good to me starts out, Samson went down to Timnah. And we see here this downward spiral that will continue through his life. He makes this statement, she looks good to me. And literally that means it looks right in my eyes. Based on what I see, this looks good. I, I, totally disregarding everything else, totally disregarding what, what he knew. He was raised in, in a godly home, as we mentioned last time. He was taught right from wrong. He knew right from wrong. Yet he said, you know what? I, it, with all of that information, this still looks good to me. It's right in my eyes. Fortunately, we see here a, a purposeful walking by sight instead of by faith. Instead of trusting in the Lord, trusting in the truth of his word, trusting in his promises that if we are obedient, he will give us all that we need and, and even give us our heart's desires by, by placing those godly desires in our heart and then fulfilling those. He walks by sight. He walks by his flesh. Paul told the Ephesians in chapter 5, therefore, because of who we are, separate, different, therefore, be careful how you walk. Not, it's something that we need to pay attention to in our lives. Be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. Making the most of your time because the days are evil. An important thing there again, he says, making the most of your time. Samson, as we will see again, and I underscore that at the beginning, he didn't make the most of what God had for him. 
As a matter of fact, he treated it very callously. If we see what Paul said to Timothy in chapter 3, again, drawing this to our time. He says, but realize this, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, that in the last days, difficult times will come. Anybody agree with that? For men will be lovers of self. He, he says it right away, and we see this even again right here in Samson. He's more concerned about himself and pleasing himself than he is about pleasing God. He said, he said that, that will be a, a sign of the times. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents. We see that coming right out of Samson too, being disobedient, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control. We're going to see that's a huge problem in Samson's life as we continue. Unloving, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And I make a big point of this to, at the beginning because this defines Samson right out of the gate. Lovers of pleasure, chasing after what looks good to the eye as opposed to lovers of God. Now he goes on, Paul does. He said that the times will be marked by this. And then he brings it really close to home. He says, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Lovers of self, what's in it for me? Disobedient to parents without self-control. The idea of without rules, anything goes, what's good for me? Again, he comes back to this holding to a form of godliness, but denying its power. It's not enough to go to church. It's not enough to be a part of, of, of Christian groups. It's not enough to, wear, to have the bumper sticker on the back of your car. It's not enough to wear the not of this world shirt holding on to a form of godliness. If we don't walk the walk, we deny the power that comes in our relationship with God. We talked about that on Sunday. The power that is available to us as believers, we deny that power. Paul said a few verses earlier in, in chapter two, now flee from youthful lusts. This is something that Samson should have underscored from the very beginning. Flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. We see, again, right out that Samson does not do this. He's walking by his flesh. He's chasing after that. Instead of being driven by the prescribed divine agenda that was given to his parents and passed on to him as a Nazarite, this vow that he had taken from his, from his birth, instead of following that, he, he pursued his, his per personal deviant agenda. Instead of thy kingdom come, thy will be done, it switches very early to my, my kingdom come, my will be done. Now, it's interesting because it says, however, his father and his mother did not know that it was of the Lord, for he was seeking an occasion against the Philistines. Now, at that time, the Philistines were ruling over Israel. We know that. They were oppressing them. And it's interesting that we, we see this note here. It says that it was of the Lord. We need to 
understand this as, as we begin to look at this. We need to understand a few things as we begin to read through this because if we're not careful, we could say, well, look at how God is blessing. Look at what God is, is doing in this. We cannot d- twist that around. God does not bless disobedience. Initial success in something is not necessarily a blessing from God. He will allow things to transpire. We're gonna, we, we need to understand, too, that, that the will of God is, is multifaceted. First of all, there is the prevailing will of God. God is sovereign. He is in absolute control. But in his sovereignty, in his prevailing will, he has a permissive will. He gives us free will. We are allowed to make choices. How those two things go together, I can't tell you. <laughs> That's my, my default, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. His ways and his thoughts are so much higher than mine, and I like that. But he is a sovereign God, but he gives us the, 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 the ability to make our own decisions, and we have to live with the consequences of those decisions. And he has a very personal will for each one of us. His will for Samson was clearly outlined. Samson chose to go a different direction. But when we see that, that, that it was of the Lord, we need to understand, too, that he has a per- prevailing will, a permissive will, a personal will, but he also has a providential way. <laughs> he has a providential hand that will intervene even through Samson's disobedience, even in his, his unwillingness to follow as he was prescribed to do. God will still have his way. We can't ruin or negate God's plan. But we can ruin our part. We can negate our blessing in it. God will always have his way in the end. But we forfeit so much when we don't follow, when we don't do as we are supposed to. There's a lot of needless pain and suffering, and we're going to see that very clearly in Samson's life. So he says, well, get her for me. And so they, they, they go along with that, parents, that, that just because your children insist, we need to be parents. That, that's the one, the one negative thing that I would say about the parents of Samson is they eventually went along with it after he said, well, this is what we're going to do. And they did. Verse 5, then Samson went down to Timnah with his father and his mother and came as far as the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came roaring toward him. Now, first of all, he had no business being in a vineyard, right? <laughs> he, was, he should have nothing to do with grapes or their products. That's part of the, the, the vow that he had taken. So what he's doing in a vineyard, I don't have any idea. But a lion comes up to him. And it says, the spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily so that he tore him as one tears a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand. But he did not tell his father or mother what he had done. Now, tearing it as one tears a young goat, I'm not sure what that means, but it sure looks like he grabbed it and tore it in two. And I have to to wonder, again, Samson, this is the first record we have of this amazing strength about about the the spirit of the Lord coming upon him mightily. And and that that word seems to mean like it it came up upon him and sprung upon him, this power. And I wonder if it just kind of blew him away. You know, as he grabs a hold of this lion, maybe in self-defense, and does this, and before you know it, it's in two pieces in his hand. Blown away by, by what happened, perhaps. It says he didn't tell his parents. 
He caught up to them, and I can imagine, like I said, rather shocked. So he went down, verse 7, and talked to the woman, and she looked good to Samson. When he returned later to take her, he turned aside to look at the carcass of the lion, and behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the body of the lion. So he scraped the honey into his hand and went on, eating it as he went. When he came to his father and his mother, he gave some to them, and they ate it. But he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey out of the body of the lion, which makes sense. Again, he's not supposed to touch anything that's dead, so he does that. So here we see in just, just these first nine verses, again, being unequally yoked, lusting after, after a, a Philistine woman, being disobedient to his parents, going into a vineyard, probably, again, had no business being there, killing a lion, but then going back and, and touching the carcass. Then his father, verse 10, went down to the woman, and Samson made a feast there for the young men customarily did this. That word feast literally means a drinking party. This was something that was customary for the, the, at that time, and they had this, this feast that involved drinking again. Another thing that Samson is not to be doing. When they saw him, they brought 30 companions to be with him. Coming to a, a wedding there, in, there in, in Philistine country, he goes with his parents. He doesn't have any any friends. He doesn't have any accountability people there with him. He's, he's, he's kind of running on his own. They have to bring friends for him to hang out with and to, to party with to get, to get ready for the, the wedding. Then Samson said to them, let me now propound a riddle to you. If you indeed tell it to me within the seven days of the feast and find it out, then I will give you 30 linen wraps and 30 changes of clothes. Very expensive wager we're putting here. But if you are unable to tell me, then you shall give me 30 linen wraps and 30 changes of clothes. And they said to him, propound your riddle that we may hear it. So he said to them, out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. But they could not tell the riddle in three days. So here, one thing, never make a joke out of your sin. Samson here is not, even, not, not convicted at all about his sin. As a matter of fact, he thinks it's kind of funny. He'll make up a little riddle about it, challenging these, these ones that are around him with it, knowing that they can't possibly figure this out, making a little sport of this, maybe to pass the time over the seven days, because, again, hanging out with a bunch of strangers. Then it came about on the fourth day that they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband so that he will tell us the riddle, or we'll burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us to impoverish us? Is this not so? Nice bunch of guys. So they, they threaten his wife, get the information out of him. Samson's wife wept before him and said, you only hate me, and you do not love me. It sounds like they've been married for 20 years. You have propounded a riddle to the sons of my people and have not told it to me. And he said to her, Behold, I have not told it to my father or mother, so should I tell you? Probably a little premarital counseling would work right now. <laughs> no secrets. <laughs> and, and just because you haven't told your parents, you're, you're breaking from your parents. But he's like, you know. So, verse 17, she wept before him seven days, well, their feast lasted, 
And on the seventh day, he told her, because she pressed him so hard, she nagged him to death, is what happened. She continually nagging him and nagging him. So finally, she then, he told her, told her the, the answer to the riddle. She told the riddle to the sons of the people. So the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down. So the clock's ticking. It's coming right down. Samson thinks he's about to win. They come up and say, what is sweeter than honey? And what is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, Again, we got to work on communicating skills and how we speak gently to one another. If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, and he went down to Ascalon, which was, which was about 20 miles away, and he killed 30 of them and took their spoil and gave the changes of clothes to those who had, the riddle, who had done the riddle. And his anger burned, and he went up to his father's house. But Samson's wife was given to his companion, or his best man, who had been his friend. So he, he loses, he gets, he gets frustrated, he gets angry, and he goes down and he, he kills 30 men, takes their clothes, before news travels come back, I guess, and he gives it to them, and he storms off angry and he goes back home, doesn't consummate the marriage, just leaves and, and runs off. And the father sees that and gives his wife then to his best man. Again, we see this just outlined right away here in this first chapter with Samson. This amazing power and strength and gifts that have been given to him, but no self-control. No self-control at all. He, he burned with lust. He, he married an, a, a non-believer, unequally yoked. He didn't honor his parents. He was, in, he, he was drinking. He touched dead animals. His anger burned. You know, all of these things of the flesh coming out of him. Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 5, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. He gives us the answer to this because this is something that we all struggle with. He goes on to say, For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. Self-control is an interesting word when you think about it. It's a battle because our self doesn't want to be controlled. Our self wants to have free reign. And we need to walk by the spirit, the spirit of God in us. This battle will continually wage and you've probably all heard it said, you know, that, that battle, that fight that's going on, two dogs in the fight, which one's going to win? The one you feed the most. And if we're feeding our flesh, we, we lose that battle. But if we're feeding our spirit, boy, it blesses me. See, you come out on Wednesday night to, to feed your spirit with the word of God, to worship God, to be in the word daily, to pray, to have Christian fellowship, to have that accountability, feeding our spirit. Instead, he goes on to list the, the, the deeds of the flesh and the fruits of the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Samson, obviously, again, not doing that. Chapter 15. But after a while, in the time of the wheat harvest, Samson visited his wife with a young goat and said, I will go in to my wife in her room 
But her father did not let him enter. Her father said, I really thought that you hated her intensely, so I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? Please let her be yours instead. So Samson goes, he finally cools off after he goes back home for a little while. He comes back, he's going to get his bride and finds out that she's been married off to the best man in the wedding. Samson then said to them, this time I shall be blameless in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. Justifying his actions ahead of time, Samson went and caught 300 foxes, and they done no more information about that. Anybody else curious? <laughs> 300 foxes. I, I can't imagine. He must, not only strong, he must have been kind of fast. Some say that, that they're jackals, don't matter to me. 300 of them. He took torches and turned the foxes tail to tail and put one torch in the middle between the two tails. Kind of brilliant when you think about it, if you're going to set the whole countryside on fire. But again, I'm sitting here thinking, two, he grabs two foxes, grabs them by the tail, ties a torch between them, lights the torch and goes. I'm, a, I'm assuming they're fighting this process, and it must have been something to see. But ties them together so that they can't run to their, their hole, because they're going to be running in different, trying to run in different directions. Starting, on, starting this area on fire, the, the next foxes aren't going to go where the fire is, they're going to go that direction. Pretty brilliant, actually. When he had set fire to the torches, he released the foxes into the standing grain of the Philistines, thus burning up both the, the shocks and the standing grain, along with the vineyards and the groves. So decimated the whole area with fire. Then the Philistines said, who did this? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he took his wife and gave her to his companion. So the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. Again, tough crowd. They, they're, they're, they're trying to figure out who to, who to ultimately pin the blame on. Instead of going to Samson initially, they go against his wife and father-in-law. Samson said to them, since you act like this, I will surely take revenge on you. But after that, I will quit. He struck them ruthlessly with a great slaughter and he went down and lived in the cleft of the rock at Edom. Revenge, violence, it never, comes to a, it never comes to a good end. Violence just breeds more violence. Revenge just causes the next person to desire revenge. And it goes on and on. And, and we know as, as, as Christians, we are called to a higher standard. Jesus said, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you. If somebody slaps you on the right cheek, you turn the other. Somebody tells you to carry their stuff one mile, you carry it too. Peter said, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead, for you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Not evil for evil. And when we break down what Peter said, not evil for evil, okay, that first part is hard. Not to retaliate and take revenge action for action. But then he goes on to something even harder. We might be able to say, okay, I'm not going to pop you back. But he says insult for insult. And that's more difficult, isn't it? When somebody comes against us verbally. I, 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 my struggle is, is I don't come right back at somebody, but I sure love sarcasm. To bring it around where they're not even looking. And, but reply insult for insult. 
That's, that's harder. But then he, gets, then he raises the bar all the way up. He said, but give a blessing instead. Not, not just not re- retaliating, but giving a blessing instead. That Greek word there is interesting. It's eulogio. That's the Greek word for blessing. The you part is good. Logos is word. It means give a good word. We get our English word eulogy from that. And I find it such a shame that far too often we wait until somebody's passed on before we'll say something nice about them. We take advantage of the opportunity to say a blessing over somebody, to speak well of them. The word, by the way, is used here in the present tense. It's not something that we wait to do. We're to love our enemies, treat others as as we want them to treat us, not as they treat us, to treat others as we would want them to treat us. And again, this is what separates us from, from the world. This love that we, that we sang of and we prayed about at the beginning. Jesus said, this love that we show, even in the, even in the face of, of persecution, when we show love back, we are representing him. The world knows we belong to him. While being reviled, he did not revile in return, but kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. When we do that, we reflect Christ. We are to pray for them and to forgive them. Again, bottom line, because we have been forgiven much. The love that has been showed us. Well, he said, I'll take my revenge. He did. He went off then, hanging out in the desert, Then the Philistines went up and camped in Judah and spread out in Lehi. The men of Judah said, why have you come up against us? And they said, we have come up to bind Samson in order to do to him as he did to us. Again, revenge. Then 3,000 men of Judah went up to the cleft of the rock at Etam and said to Samson, do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, as they did to me, so I have done to them. <laughs> I think it's interesting. Already his, his reputation precedes him. They didn't send a couple of guys to go get Samson. They didn't send 25 guys to go get Samson. They said, no, 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 no. We need 3,000 ought to do it. They said to him, we have come to bind you so that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. <clears throat> and Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not kill me. So they said to him, No, but we will bind you fast and give you into their hands, yet surely we will not kill you. Then they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up up from the rock. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines shouted as they met him. You can imagine this 3,000 army bringing Samson all bound up, bringing him to the Philistines. They're all excited. We We got our enemy and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, so that the ropes were on his arms were like flax that has been burned with fire. You know that candle after you blow it out, the wick that's on the top that just crumbles? Just crushed right off of him. The bonds dropped from his hands. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey. <laughs> the, reading that in another translation, I think it was the New King James or King James. If you had that, it says, a moist jawbone of a drunk, donkey. Interesting. I wonder if the donkey was deceased when he got it. Um, 
But he can't d- grab a dry one that has been baked in the sun. The first Philistine he hits with it, and it breaks. So he grabs a fresh one, reached out and took it, and killed a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. Then Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have killed a thousand men. No, you didn't. See, Samson has got the wrong picture. And far too often, we need to be careful of this too. That we don't take any of the glory. When God uses us, notice it says, when the spirit of the Lord came upon him. Samson, Samson wasn't the doer and the jawbone the instrument. Samson was the instrument in the hands of the Lord. And far too often, especially when, when God does a great work, We have to be so careful that we keep our hands off of the glory. All glory goes to God. We are just jawbones in his hand. We are just instruments in the hands of God. When he had finished speaking, he threw the jawbone from his hand, and he named the the place Ramath-Lehi. Then he became very thirsty And he called to the Lord and said, you have given this great deliverance by my hand of your servant, and now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? Amazing now when something, this physical thing comes upon him, all of a sudden the humility that immediately comes and the the realization that is there that, that it is truly God that is in control. And he cries out to God. This is only one of two prayers that's recorded that, that he ever, ever gives up to the Lord. And in this too, I see something that we all need to be aware of. We are as dependent on God after a great victory as we are before and during a battle. We are completely and always dependent on God. And many times, many times people stumble and fall after a great victory. They're tired, worn down a little bit, maybe a little bit cocky and arrogant, and set up for a fall. Need to remember our continual reliance on God for everything, for all things. He cries out to God and God answers. God split the hollow place that is in Lehi so that water came out of it. When he drank, his strength was returned and he revived. Therefore, he named it En-Hakor, which is in Lehi to this day. So he judged Israel 20 years in the days of the Philistines. We see here that that he takes over this this responsibility, this role of of judge for 20 years. But there's, there's no other recorded things until we get to the end in chapter 16. It says now, chapter 16 as we begin. Now Samson went to Gaza, which was one of the main cities of the Philistines. And he saw a harlot there and went into her. What in the world is he doing in Gaza? Why, knowing his weakness for Philistine women, would he go to that place, especially alone? Again, a a huge point that we all need to understand. What our weaknesses are in places that that we, we we have no business being, especially alone. We talked about this at at the outset last week. Samson. This man that was given great authority but had no accountability, had nobody around him. 
And here he goes to a place where he struggles in, with great weakness with Philistine women. He goes there by himself and see he falls quickly into the trap again. I don't think that that's why he went, but he immediately falls. When it was told to the, to the Gazites, saying, Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. And they kept silent all night, saying, let us wait until the morning light, and then we will kill him. Now Samson lay until midnight, and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gates of the city and the two posts and pulled them up along with the bars, and then he put them on his shoulders and he carried them up to the top of the mountain, which is opposite Hebron. Again, just imagine the picture. Here these guys are surrounding the house thinking they're going to kill him. He, walk, he gets up, they're either sleeping or he just looks at them and they, whatever. And he walks over to the gates of the city, pulls them out of the ground. I mean, this, is, this isn't like the fence that you have outside, the gate outside by your trash can. That's not what, the gates of the city. And he picks them up and he carries them out and sets them on this hill. We don't know how Hebron, that, that, that's like 25 miles away. We don't know how far he carried them, but he carried them at all. And just in defiance of them. It's interesting, if we look through a lot of this, Samson used his strength and his power and his position an awful lot for himself. Instead of using it for God's glory and to deliver the people, the people of Israel. We're going to see at the end that, 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 that he killed as many in his last, his last deed as he had his entire 20 years. Again, what a, what a waste. Well, now we come to the story that they make movies of, Samson and Delilah. After this, it came about that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. The lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, entice him and see where his great strength lies and how we may overpower him that we may bind him to afflict him. Then we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Gonna make her a very, a very rich woman. We don't, it doesn't tell us that she's a Philistine, but based on the the thing we can kind of put two and two together that she's, she's probably a Philistine based on how they, they, they come to her and they're talking to her. He, it says that he, he loved her. We have to be careful that we never use, again, our emotions to justify sin. Many times, and, and as a pastor in counseling people, they say, you know, I know God's word says this, but we love each other. You know, I, I know that we're not supposed to live together before we're married, but we love each other and it just makes sense economically. Or I know that they're not a believer, but, but we love each other. And no, th love, that feeling, is nowhere a justification for sin. And the enemy will take advantage of it. The enemy here taking advantage of it, ruthlessly plotting his downfall. And trust me, our enemy prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour looking for opportunities in that to take, to take us down. We can never, again, ever go against what the word of God says, regardless of what our feelings are. They offer to pay her a very handsome sum of money if she does this. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength is and how you may be bound to afflict you. 
I'm not saying, but that should have set off alarms, right? <laughs> I mean, it's one thing to say, hey, sweetheart, how come you're so strong, you know? But so that you could be tied up and afflicted, you know? It should have probably set off alarms. And again, I, <laughs> run, run. And all the way along in our life, when we even start taking steps to areas that we should not be in, as believers, the Holy Spirit is in us, giving us warning, giving us checks, telling us to run in these situations. Joseph, with, with, with Potiphar's wife, he heard that check and he ran. Samson doesn't. Samson sticks around and says, ah, I, can, I can handle this. I can do this myself, no problem. Samson said to her, if they bind me with seven fresh cords that, they have not, that have not been dried, then I will become weak and be like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh cords that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she had the men lying in wait in the inner room, and she said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the cords as strings of, of toe snaps when it touches the fire. So his strength had not been discovered. So he wakes up, snaps these things off. Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have deceived me and told me lies. <laughs> now please tell me how you may be bound. He said to her, If you bind me tightly with new ropes, which has, have not been used, then I will become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson, for the men are lying in wait in the inner room. But he snapped the ropes from his arms like a thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, Up to now you have deceived me and told me lies. Our relationship is never going to get anywhere if you can't be honest with me. <laughs> tell, me how, tell me how you may be bound. And he said to her, if you weave the seven locks of my hair with the web and fasten it with a pin, then I will become weak and be like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his hair and wove them into the web, and she fastened it with the pin and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled out the pin of the loom and the web. And she said to him, How can you say to me, I love you, when your heart is not with me? You have deceived me these three times and have not told me where your great strength is. It came about when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him that his soul was annoyed to death. So, yeah. so he told her all that was in his heart, and he said to her, A razor has never come on my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my, woman's, from my mother's womb. If I am shaved, then my strength will leave me and I will become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all that was in his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, come up, at, come up once more, for he has told me all that is in his heart. The lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees and called for a man to have him shave off the seven locks of his hair. Then she began to afflict him and his strength left him. She said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as the other times and shake myself free. But he did not know 
that the Lord had departed from him. How sad. How sad. Gets to the gets to the end of all of this, kept on playing with fire, kept on going, going where he shouldn't have gone, further and further and further in. Finally, the last thing, his hair is shaved off. He has, doesn't have his strength. Then the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes, and they brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze chains, and he was a grinder in their prison. Guys, there's... No doubt there's, a, there's an easy little outline there in verse 21. Sin does three things. It blinds, it binds, and it grinds. It blinds us to where we, we can't, we, we, we think that we have it. We, got, we have it all suffered. I, I, I got this. I'm fine. It binds us. Become, makes us a slave. And then it puts us to work to do its bidding. However, the hair on his head began to grow after it was shaved off. So he was there for quite a while as his hair then begins to grow out. And can you only imagine the thoughts that were going through his head? And many people who have fallen into sin in their life have even, have even lost marriages and families because of sin in their life, lost ministries because of sin in their life. And in those quiet times afterwards, not one of them would say it was worth it. Not one of them would say, you know, I'd do it all over again. It's always that, how could I have been so stupid? How could I have let this happen? How could I have ignored all of the signs along the way? Verse 23, now the lords of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. For they said, our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, our God has given our enemy into our hands, even the destroyer of our country, who has slain many of us. Look how the witness was totally destroyed as well. Gave the enemies opportunity to rejoice. And so often that happens. So often that happens. Especially you've seen all of that, those times when a, when a very prominent pastor will fall because of sin and how the enemy and the media loves to splash their face on, on, on TV and, and all over the place because they, want to, they, they show this thing and, and the enemy loves to show the triumph when somebody falls. And that's what's happening here. They're even giving honor to their God. So happened when they were in high spirits, they're having this big party they said, call for Samson that he may amuse us. So they called for Samson from the prison and he entertained them and they made him stand between the pillars. Then Samson said to the boy who was holding his hand, let me feel the pillars on which the house rests that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women and all the lords of the Philistines were there. About 3,000 men and women were on the roof looking while Samson was amusing them finding great sport in this champion now. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O oh Lord God, please remember me. Please strengthen me just this time. O oh God, that I may at once be avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. Samson grasped the two middle, middle pillars on which the house rested and braced himself against them, the one with his right hand and the other with his left and Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he bent with all of his might so that the house fell on the lords and all the people who were in it. 
So the dead who were, he killed at his death were more than those whom he killed in his life. And his brothers and his father's household came down, took him, brought him and buried him between Zorah and Eshtal in the tomb of Manoah, his father. Thus he had judged Israel 20 years. That, again, a tragic end. We see at the very end, totally humbled and broken, crying out to God, God answering, having, again, having his, his way coming forward. It says that he killed more in his death. Again, in that, just that picture of the fact that we need to die to ourself. Die to all of these fleshly desires and the things that were going on. What a great impact he could have had. Again, you can't, you can't blame upbringing. He was raised in a godly home. But even being raised in a godly home is, isn't enough. The choices that, that we make individually. What a waste. What a waste of the gifts and the calling in this man's life. And I think when we, when we, just to finish up, a couple of things that we should all ask ourselves. What am I doing with the gifts and the calling on my life? Am I wasting it? Am I using it for my own pleasure, my own good, my own glory? Or am I laying my life down before the Lord and saying, you have your way, your kingdom come, your will be done. And that's something that we should all honestly ask ourselves before the Lord on a regular basis. Lord, you search me. You, you know my inward thoughts. You know all about me. You know the things that I've even hardened my own heart towards, the, the way that I've deceived my own self. And, and I don't want to waste another minute, God. You've given me gifts. You've placed a calling on my life. If you are a born-again believer here in this room, you have been given gifts, and there is a calling on your life specifically. God has ministry for you to do. That's why you're still breathing. And when we... When we turn away from that, even just a little, we drift and we get far away. And again, before we know it, we could be like Samson in a prison, in a totally lost in a situation. But I'll tell you right now, we all need that assessment. But if you're here tonight and, and you can honestly say, I'm like Samson, I'm in that prison, I've blown it, there's hope. It's not over. God's not done with you yet. God is a God of second chances. We talked of that on Sunday. Because of the cross and because he lives, what it, may, what, what it takes right now is for you to just go before him as Samson did, honestly before the Lord, say, God, remember me. I'm sorry. I confess my sin to you. I put that life down. Use me whatever's left. Give God whatever's left. Forget the past. Forget even maybe what happened today. Put that down. But you need to put it away. If there's a relationship that you need to get out of, you gotta get out of it now. If there's a situation, it's something that you're involved in that you know is not pleasing to God, it's gotta end now. Don't wait. Don't wait until, until tragedy strikes. Take care of it immediately. Let God write the final chapter. He did for Samson. This isn't our last mention of Samson. In Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, Samson's mentioned. 
Now we look back through the, the chapters that we just read and say, man, where's, where's that? Where, where would that be? Well, I, I, I believe it came right here at the very end when a broken man said, God, I give you whatever I have left. Strengthen me this last time that I might do your bidding just this, just this once. I've blown it all to this point, but use me from this moment on. The same can be true if that defines you or if you know somebody. God is a God of second chances. That's what the cross did for all of us. Gave us all a fresh start. His mercies are new every morning. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for that truth. That because of the cross, because of your your sacrifice, your blood shed on our behalf, And the fact that the tomb is empty, you are alive and alive in us. We know that you have work for us to do. We know that our sins are forgiven. Lord, right now, we just come before you and we give you what is left of our life from this moment on. Lord, we ask that you would have your way in us. Lord, that you would renew the strength Lord, if, if there are any in here that are weary tonight, that are tired, Lord, we cry out to you too and ask us that you give us a fresh drink of living water. Refresh us, revive us. Lord, our desire is to walk in a manner worthy. We desire to be careful how we walk. The times that we live in are evil, Lord. We want to shine for you. Lord, it's, sometimes we can look at an example like Samson, and it's not a good one, not a good example for us. But Lord, it can often shine light in areas of our lives that we need to deal with. So Lord, we ask that you do that work in us. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you this weekend. Don't forget to grab your uh, prayer slips of paper on your way out. Be praying for Al and the team over there in China.